heading to Israel with Nevesh Benefesh after Monday's JM and the AM. We'll have more details about the trip and our entire schedule on Monday. Weekly update will not be on next Friday. We'll be with NCSY at Yom NCSY, which you'll hear here on Friday morning of next week. And, of course, two weeks from today, we do anticipate the weekly update returning here at JM and the AM. Yeah, for those of you who wanted a weekly update right after the Republican convention, um, unfortunately not. But I have a feeling if anything significant happens there, that we'll be able to address it a few days later. 79 degrees, partly cloudy. It's a JM and the AM Friday. Uh, Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Good morning to you, Nachum. I want to point out to our listeners on both our Facebook update page and on my uh, page on Facebook is the list of uh, injured Jewish victims as they've come out, uh, six people uh, whose names we know at this point in the terrorist attack in Nice. Uh, Malcolm, why is France such an easy target? For several reasons that we have discussed over the last uh, probably 10 years and uh, more, and, and you know that I used to do, we did an annual event at the French embassy for about 10 years and with the head of the French Jewish community in which I would discuss this and they would deny it uh, until the last couple of years when they were essentially echoing everything that we said. For one, France has huge Muslim population uh, and there's been a, a radicalization of that population. Second, the easy access, a democratic country, but a large one. This is the fourth vehicular terrorist attack in the last two years, and more than 200 civilians have been killed since last January. Not this year, but the last 18 months, let's say, um, in, in France. And people, you know, know the spectacular events, but often don't focus on some of the smaller ones. So there, there have been these vicious string of, of attacks, and they're very hard to stop. Half of, of France's military is deployed in the country, not wow. abroad or not fighting on its borders. Right. And because that is the major threat that France faces, and I think we can anticipate a very significant political, social up reaction to this. It, it, it may be like the Brexit, even if not necessarily withdrawing from the EU, but demanding a price from Olan, and there's an election coming up. He's trying to run for re-election. I think this will be a, a significant blow that people will question is their ability to deal with the terrorism. And the, uh, the there was a failure on the part of France to integrate the population as they came in until it became so overwhelming. And then the steps they took tended to be actually counterproductive. Uh, and, in fact, they established um, a council for um, Islamic institutions and thinking that they would strengthen the moderates. And, in fact, the, the, the radicals took it over and took the hundreds of millions of dollars that came with it. Uh, they, they drove out the imams who uh, were preaching radical messages, and now they've been replaced by people who don't preach in France, and they don't know what they're saying. But we know that there's a lot of radicalism emanating from uh, those speeches as well. There's a. Um, uh, there's always been a a, a, a an encouragement uh, by some in the Islamic world to use vehicles to, uh, in fact, carry out terrorist attacks. Uh, they do a lot of damage, accessible to all, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, is there any doubt at this point 
that this 31-year-old Tunisian Frenchman, uh, in fact, was influenced by Islamic fundamentalism and likely was just, you know, following the the lead of those who encouraged these types of attacks? Well, again, we've seen the talk about him being a lone wolf. Uh, he did yell al-Akbar as he carried out his attack, so mm. that being a motivating factor, I think, is being accepted. Uh, but it, it, it's usually false when they say that it's a, a lone wolf. Very, very rarely does somebody act without some influence, with some training, with some assistance. It's likely that he had other people involved. This is a, a more complicated thing. In fact, anybody can ram a truck into a group, but we saw in Israel how many vehicular yep. acts there were over the last year, right? Yep. Driving into the, the um, bus stations and, and into waiting uh, police, uh, waiting soldiers or civilians driving into their cars. It's not something that requires big infrastructure. But this attack, they believe, uh, was intended to not to end up in a, in him being killed, but he was supposed to go to a safe house. At least that's an initial report. But we know that the initial reports are always questionable. So we will learn much more about it. But I think there's no doubt about it, the Islamist influence here. Those who criticize uh, French security and French security measures, um, those who uh, you know wonder how a truck can in fact get anywhere near a crowd that size on a day like that, on July 14th, a big day of celebration in France. I mean, le legitimate criticism? that they're that Because I don't think a, a scheduled crowd like that, for instance, in the New York area, I don't think the NYPD would ever have tolerated a truck getting near it. They, they wouldn't, but uh, if uh, there's a delivery truck and it's a couple blocks away, th th this guy traveled... Uh, two kilometers, a mile through the crowd. Right. So he could have been seen as delivering stuff or on his way home or anything, and then veers into the streets where the celebration was taking place. Yeah. Jewish population of Nice, significant. I mean, we've already uh, published the uh, list of those injured with you know from the Jewish community who uh, we've been informed about. But in general, can you tell us anything about the Jewish community there? Yeah, it's not very it's not very large, but a lot of the Jews vacation there mm. in the, in Nice, and uh, and this is of course the summer vacation time, so the the numbers are much greater right now. Uh, I knew people who were uh, actually in, in Nice during this time, yeah. so they, they including the numbers are much higher than they would be during the winter. You spoke about what the future politically might be in France because of events like this, and I know that this might be a little bit of a silly question, and it's a topic you don't love addressing, but the curiosity is too much. Could things like this now, and God forbid over the next few months, uh, could they have an effect on the American election? Absolutely. I think uh, they, they have an effect on Americans. They have an effect on people's psyche. They have an effect on uh, people's perceptions. Uh, and sometimes distance gives you greater clarity when they see, you know, how life in, in uh, France has changed, the no-go districts, other things that which will now be focused upon. Um, I don't think it's the sole reason, and unfortunately, you know, the concern after events here or anywhere dissipates very quickly. Uh, we saw it even in the most horrendous attacks. Yeah. They, you know, people focus on it for a day a week, but I think overall... It uh, feeds a certain, it, it reinforces 
existing points of view and can influence others. Would you agree with those who've said, and there have been some normally responsible people who have already said this overnight, that France has to be resigned to the fact that they're going to have these attacks at this point, meaning basically that you know we've reached a point where they're unpreventable? I don't think we can ever accept that because then life becomes intolerable. Nobody, nobody will be able to go anywhere, do anything, uh, if, if we just say that we accept it. It's going to be very hard to root it out because it, it, you know, they, when you have, let's say in France, the Muslims are more than 10% of the population. So the responsibilities, number one, should be on the Muslim community to root out those who, who express extremism and of course on the law, uh, law enforcement and, and public authorities to, to act and to act decisively. I, I don't think political correctness is, is the answer. And on the other hand, I don't think condemnation of, a, of a, you know, every group member of a group is, is appropriate. What we need to do is to, number one, go to the source, and that's ISIS, and wipe them out. Mm. And, and really have acted with greater decisiveness. You know, I, I warned them when there were a couple hundred foreign uh, uh, soldiers in, in France because the people in Syria told me about it. And warned us and said this is growing, and especially in France. France has more than 1,500 people in Syria. That's, and, and it takes 10 uh, security people to, to monitor each one, the, the head of the security, he said. That's, and he said, I don't have 15,000 people to assign to it. And this is, this is it's, it's the promise of, of huge magnitude. And when these others, when they come home and when they train and using the Internet to train people, to incite them. So there have to be stronger and stricter measures, right. and there has to be uh, accountability, and, and that's across the board. And on top of that, the terrorist from yesterday, this Mohammed Bolel, was not even on any list other than you know common crimes that he was uh, convicted of. And, and you, I mean, you can't put everybody right. who has an uh, Islamic-sounding name or member of a community, you know, on a watch list for, for this. But, you know, we're seeing uh, so many situations around that uh, where the violence, I mean, Hamas has been preaching the use of vehicles for a long time, too. Right. And, uh, um, well, we, we've seen ISIS's activities and they picked up after Paris and Brussels, especially online, with greater recruitment. So, you know, it's a massive problem when there's a lot of things that, that are hidden or unidentified, which means that you've got to go to the sources, root it out, who's paying for it, who's helping them, which countries uh, help pay for, for terrorist operations, who's radicalizing it. And, you know, Turkey is building mosques all over Europe, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, investing others people they have to be held to account and said if there are if we find and if the europe itself has to stand up they they're quick to do it against israel they're quick to accuse israel and to engage in maneuvers they're trying it this week on unesco i mean which is just outrageous and and yet on these very fundamental things they, they're not uh and, prime oh i'm sorry yes go ahead the Prime Minister Netanyahu, in his reaction, mentions, of course, the condemnation of the attack and reminds everyone that terrorism can strike anywhere and must be fought everywhere. Uh, he then ended his comments, Israel is ready to help the French government fight this evil until it is defeated. It, it, are, are there practical measures, in fact, that Israel could offer foreign countries when it comes to this area? Well, first of all, experience. Yeah, and sure. there are technologies. 
technologies that monitor the Internet uh, that are invisible. People don't see it, but they, they can pick up even the use of certain words. And nobody can, can uh, individually go through every site, but you can do it with there are algorithms that Israel's developed at Israeli companies, security agency uh, companies, um, that can read the Internet, can warn about uh, individuals or trends, uh, on the internet, so there's a lot that Israel has to offer, and unfortunately, a lot of it born out of its own experiences. And you must, must use this opportunity, and especially as a message to lay leaders and religious leaders of of large, obvious Jewish targets, um, to remind them about the security measures, because there are too many, um, too many obvious potential targets in our community, and I mean around the entire United States and really around the world for people listening around the world, that are simply targets, and especially when it comes to this type of attack where you're trying to prevent a truck or a car from going through the front door of your institution, there are measures that we know that could prevent that. Yes, well, they put the the barriers in front, and there are other steps that can be taken. Uh, There was a conference called this week for, for security people across the country because of the ISIS list that uh, mentioned a couple hundred members of, of synagogues, and, and uh, uh, it's not something that means anything. This is the, the fourth or fifth time such a list has been found, and is generally, I think, taken from a phone book. Uh, but, you know, we try constantly to warn people and to reinforce exactly that message. You can't look afterwards and say, you know, what happened. There are too many sources of tension in the world. There are too many issues that... You know, we, we don't even get a chance to begin to focus on each week about, you know, things that we deal with, uh, unfortunately, all the time. And uh, you, you could see additional disruptions that could be caused by anything, by the anger in, in Iran, by angry over policy, so they, they can um, step up their, their af- efforts uh, in, in many areas. And they talk about Israel's annihilation. talk about the annihilation of the Jews. So when the people are saying it, you know that there are elements in the world that want to do it. Take them seriously because they mean it. It doesn't mean they can carry it out. It doesn't mean people should be afraid. People should not be afraid to go to synagogues, to Jewish institutions. The opposite. They certainly shouldn't be afraid to visit Israel. But uh, and certainly they don't appear to be afraid of visiting France. <laughs> but take the precautions that are necessary. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios, Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmam.org. Uh, I wanted to thank our friends at jewishworldreview.com. Remind everybody they could print out a million articles or close to a million uh, before Shabbos to read over the weekend. And I thank our friends at onlysimchas.com who continue to offer their readers and uh, and viewers, our content is part of their incredible brand new news feed, and we thank them. And I remind everybody, one hour from now, Naomi Nachman will be live, the Woodmere location of Gourmet Glot. I'll give you more details this hour coming up at JM in the AM. Uh, Malcolm, what do we know about Governor Mike Pence vis-a-vis Israel and the Jewish world? A very good record, six-term member of Congress, very strong on Israel. All right. And a very good record. I guess that says it all at this point, huh? That's what we know so far. Though, but the, the, <laughs> yeah. Trump seems to have indicated that he hasn't made his final, final decision, although all the indications are that it would be Pence. He's now the governor of Indiana, but served from there. He's an evangelical Christian and uh, certainly had, a, as I said, a very strong record, outspoken record. 
Um, while we're speaking about uh, attitudes vis-a-vis Israel and the Jewish world, what could you tell us about the brand new prime minister and foreign minister in the United Kingdom? Well, Boris Johnson, who's the former mayor of London, now the foreign minister, is has also been very outspoken supporter of Israel, as has Mrs. May. And in fact, the night before the announcement, she had a she had dinner with the chief rabbi, and she would not cancel it, even though. She was in the morning being announced as the new prime minister, and uh, she's had a long history as home secretary, uh, which is really interior security and other issues included, and she had a very close relationship and helped provide funding for security of Jewish institutions in England. Um, the uh, it's hard to believe is the Iran deal because uh, I keep write, reading these articles about one year later. Is it in fact one year since the deal was finalized? It is indeed one year, and there are a lot of assessments about what happened during this year, what's happening now, and uh, we see both internally. Is is there a consensus on that, or or there's a debate that goes from one side to the other? About whether it's one year? No, there's a consensus that it's one year. (laughs) About its effectiveness and what's been happening over this past year? Well, there's certain things that are, are cannot be disputed that are, I think, very obvious, and that is one, it has not lessened its aggressive behavior. Have they taken the steps, uh, many of the steps that the, the, the deal demanded? Yes. But yesterday they announced that they had a new centrifuges 15 times more powerful. They, they have said and implied that they are, you know, um, taking advantage of every loophole. And, we, and we, we only know what we know, and we know in the inspections, the IEA report, the last one that came out, uh, indicated uh, a lot less information than the uh, ones before. But look what they've done on missile testing. Look what they've done in, in aggressive actions against our sailors, against uh, others, um, their activities now vis-a-vis uh, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain. So their regional and their global activities in, in Africa. And I know that it came up during the prime minister's trip, but every African leader I meet, the first thing they talk about is... is uh, um, the Iranian activities and their concerns about it, the, uh, their activities in South America are massive. So on every front, whether you know it's the domestic situation with human rights, with the, their, their uh, um, aggressiveness, their, their purchasing military-related uh, uh, equipment, which are not supposed to, they were not supposed to test the missiles under the agreement for eight years, and yet there's been no action and no. Uh, significant action, which only encourages them to, to, to do more. That, that you have to know the nature of, of what you're, who you're dealing with. We see the Kurds now fighting the IRGC in clashes, which people should pay attention to. I think this is uh, very important. People don't know that, in, that Iran, only half the people are of Persian origin. There are Baluchis, there are 30 million Azeris, there are people of every kind. So uh, when the Kurds um, are involved in this, and we know that there were 12 Kurdish soldiers were killed in one um, incident with the IRGC. They are very effective fighters, and this could be uh, more significant. And we see the number of arrests of dual nationals, including Americans, no action, no condemnation. Uh, We see the number of executions increasing on their part, and um, I think that the... the, uh, record of the year that raises questions, and, and the big issues is about additional sanctions. Uh, there are even the Treasury Department uh, in the administration has been uh, acting, in, and there are measures by Congress that have been proposed. The president said he will 
veto some of them. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, we saw the statements this week by the deputy head of the IRGC that Israel's annihilation is imminent. And uh, I, for one, take them very seriously that we have to be tougher. We have to be, if you want even the JCPOA part to work, they have to see that we're serious and, and believe that there will be a significant price which they don't believe now. No, that's for sure. Um, Arab countries that are going out of their way to improve their relations with Israel, it's fear of ISIS, fear of Iran, or both? Well, Iran is, is number one, ISIS as well. Uh, By the I way, and, and I think I saw this on your daily alert, I think there was an article where Prime Minister Netanyahu actually acknowledged that there are, you know, that Arab countries are going out of their way to improve their relations with Israel. I, I thought that's something that Israel is not supposed to admit publicly to, you know, to, to to help to help the Arab countries keep cover, so to speak. Yes, but when the foreign minister of Egypt visits and does so with a press conference together with Netanyahu, that's a pretty significant change. <laughs> that's true. And the fact that uh, most visits and most exchanges are not public, but he was. Uh, painting the broader picture that people talk about Israel's isolation. They are opening up all these new relationships in, with Japan in, in the, uh, Asia, Japan, India, China, massive growth. Africa, you saw this trip, great success. Right. Uh, eight countries at the summit, four countries visited, many other countries want visits. And he's pointing to the changes in the region <coughs> where countries are, even if they don't do it publicly, uh, more open. We haven't seen changes in their massive changes in their voting records. We saw Jordan with the Palestinians pushing again this week in UNESCO for another resolution about Jerusalem, about the holy places, about uh, building on the last one. They, but they did not get the votes necessary and had to with, uh, postpone it. Now the Europeans are talking about a new initiative, which is just outrageous, uh, that would target again, and this is under the title of the, the, the old city and its walls, and the, they, they're going to do again what they did last time, which was to remove all of the Jewish vestiges and, and Christian, by that way, um, uh, from any association uh, with this. So uh, we have seen a change in the Arab world. It's not a change of the people yet, but certainly a change on the part of governments who see that Israel has so much to offer in technology and military intelligence and knowledge and water reclamation and, and you know desalination and so many of the things that they need. The African leaders said it. Tanzania said, Tanzania said they're going to open an embassy. So they, they see it. And second, I think it's the fact that America is seen as withdrawing and the, with all of the sources of instability, they think that Israel is as, uh, as, as more, more and more of a reliable partner, potential partner. Could you address the, the Egypt piece just in a, in a drop more detail? I mean, is this, uh, what will this lead to, the fact that there was this meeting in Israel with the foreign minister? What is Egypt looking for? What can Israel gain from all of this? Well, we know the radical groups uh, criticize it, we know that others, but nothing like this just takes place. Um, there was a debate about whether they actually watched the soccer game together or they just happened to pass by the screen and say it, so they didn't watch the, the, looked at the score. But no doubt that the meeting and the fact, as I said, that it wasn't done in a clandestine way, it didn't sneak in across the border, right. that they, um, uh, that they uh, have made more public that Israel is assisting in the Sinai, is sending drone attacks. Um, and the Prime Minister has been very welcoming of CC's offers to help in direct negotiations and, sees, and promoting it as an alternative to the other initiatives, especially the European initiative. Um, 
and certainly the relationship on the military security level, there are common efforts against Hamas and, and ISIS. Uh, Egypt is, fancy, is facing very serious challenges. You know, they canceled a delegation from Hamas that had been planning a visit for a long time, uh, and they're saying they don't live up to their promises about the border and of stopping the infiltration both ways. They act, and they act decisively, right. uh, and uh, are not as restricted as Israel might be in, in their ability to do certain things. But Israel has a lot to offer, and, and I think that that relationship... It's not a, a, a cataclysmic change yet in the sense that the people of Egypt are ready to accept Israel, but it's certainly a very different atmosphere. And as you know, they even changed the textbooks and that they now include talk of the peace deal reached between Sadat and, and right. when Sadat was president. Yeah, I saw that. First time ever that that's mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, oh, I was about to ask you something about here in the United States. Yes, the, <laughs> the, uh, for the first time, and many are making a big deal about this, for the first time in advance of the RNC next week, no mention of a two-state, uh, no mention of two states in the Republican platform. Your thoughts? I mean, they took it out, they didn't say they were against the two-state solution, right. they just took out the reference to it. And uh, I, I have to say the Democratic uh, platform is very strong, and, and uh, the Clinton... Well, I would guess you know, you'd say both are pretty strong, right? ...to fight right? off challenges you'd... by Zogby and West, in particular the Sanders delegates. That, right, but uh, you'd say both are strong, right? ...occupation, and the Republican statement is very strong, and both yeah. refer to United Jerusalem. So I, I don't know why the, the spate of criticism about the, that they took it out, so somebody put out that they took it out, but they didn't say they were against the two-state solution. Right. It sort of sounded like they're leaving it up to Israel to do what they think is best. Essentially, they said that, you know, but, and, and, and there are people who say things who don't necessarily understand all the implications of the words they're using, you know, when you say, well, it's, it's, it's not necessary or it's not uh, um, uh, obvious that, 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 that about two-state solution, there could be other solutions. Well, Amer- that, that feeds the speculation. Yeah, and also the the uh, the reality or the perception of American pressure goes a long way. So, absolutely. Um, what do you think of this State Department uh, story? A State Department grant intended to rally support for peace between Israel and the Palestinians also helped set up political infrastructure that was later used for a campaign opposing the re-election of Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu in 2015, according to a bipartisan Senate investigative report released on Tuesday. What do you think of that? Well, the State Department gave a grant of about $350,000 to a group called One Voice, and when the Prime Minister, and that was to do a promotion of peace between Israelis and Palestinians, and they they created this huge voter database, and when the election was announced, they turned over that, all of that, to a group called V15, or Victory 2015, which was to unseat Netanyahu, and the Congress, the Senate, did an investigation. They did not find wrongdoing on the part of the State Department because they gave a grant, though I don't know why the State Department is giving grants like this at all, um, but, but there was no legal wrongdoing. And Peaceful, in one voice, have said that they notified two State Department officials of its uh, political play and uh, during, during the period of the grant. 
but no action was taken against them. So, so there are a lot of questions still outstanding. Congress uh, has highlighted this. It's not something we didn't know. But there have been grants both by foundations, American foundations, that have gone to groups that are engaged in blatant political activity. So if you want to nitpick on the Politico headline, that's why it says grant-aided campaign right. to unseat Netanyahu <laughs> as an ipso facto, so to speak. Uh, and, it, and it wasn't – and those who would then say that the Obama administration slash State Department funded an effort to unseat Netanyahu, that you might argue would be unfair. Mm-hmm. Wow. And now, you know, you have municipal elections coming up. I wonder if they're going to start giving grants to Palestinian groups. Uh, it's in like 326 municipal elections in, in the West Bank and in Gaza, another couple dozen. And they'll be very hot. Nobody knows why they were called. But you're seeing the, the efforts now, the talk of the serious talk of succession to Abbas, whether willingly or not willingly. Uh, Fayyad yesterday came out, you know, the former prime minister with a his own peace initiative, which he was highly criticized for, but it shows that he's getting back into play. There's a lot of tumult there, and um, we know that the uh, Israel security agencies have, have uncovered vastly more activity by Hamas in the West Bank and the fear that an election, if it were a real democratic election, they might be able to win, and they, um, they prevented in the last five months. So when people ask about what is Israel security doing, in five months, Eight suicide bombings, ten kidnappings, sixty attempted shootings, and this doesn't go into all of the other, you know, lesser activities. Um, and these are efforts to really, and 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 the Hamas is working to undermine the stability of the West Bank, not just against Israel, but against the the PA as well. So the succession issue is getting larger and uh, and larger. And now ISIS is challenging Hamas, and they have. Uh, uh, you know, there are all sorts of reports about what is the real nature of of the relationship, and some distinguish that ISIS has a good relationship with military Hamas and not with political Hamas, but Hamas clearly feels threatened. And on the other hand, they're working with them in the Sinai, which is why Egypt canceled that delegation, mm. and um, uh, and Israel has been cracking down and seizing weapons in the West Bank. They they closed 16 weapons making factories. These are all in people's homes and, and, and seize the arms just in the last two weeks or so. Is there now a formal agreement, and I don't mean formal signed agreement, but I think you'll know where I'm heading with this, uh, between the United States, Russia, and Syria to rid Syria of ISIS? No. It, well, it's not a formal agreement, as you said, but it's, it, there is something that they are proposing. The question is really whether you can find a commonality of interest. How does Iran play into that? How do others play into it? Will, will, how it will affect uh, others? Look, nobody wants to be dragged into deeper into the, this conflict, and nobody sees a resolution now. Uh, the real first issue is that that Russia, like Iran, is committed to keeping Abbas in power. And now it's—I mean, Assad—and it seems now that the United States hinted that they will accept that at least for an interim period. But the um, uh, you know the, the that toll continues to mount. The situation there remains really uh, upset and. Um, uh, I would take any reports with a grain of salt, but the the effort is certainly there to by the United States to try and work out something with Russia to coordinate their activities. And you know that the Hezbollah has been very critical of the Russians for not bombing uh, situations where their soldiers have been endangered, and they're losing a lot. About a third of the Hezbollah forces are in Syria, and they rotate in. It's take, it takes a, a heavy toll uh on them and um 
you know, they look around the region, they see so many potential conflicts, any of which could draw in vital interest. You know, just in the last week we saw the Iranians threatening Saudi Arabia, saying that there won't be even a speck of dust left because they went to uh, Turkey al-Faisal, who was once the ambassador here, and um, head of the security agency in, in Saudi Arabia attended a meeting of the MKO in Paris, the um, Mujahideen group, which Iran sees as a terrorist organization. And they, the former commander, the founder of the RGC, told them, uh, you know, we're going to wipe them off the face of the earth, and that, and was highlighted as splits in Syria and Yemen. And that's just one of of, of many things. And so I think that any effort that they can make, and they're looking at uh, Syria, of course, as a major source, because so much is invested there, uh, as uh, anything that can be done to calm that situation down might have a broader right. impact. They may not, meaning the Russians may not cooperate in any other country with the U.S. or with anybody else when it comes to ISIS, but in Syria they feel that they're, they're too much invested not to. Well, I'm not sure how much they have committed to. We have to really find out. We know what the initial reports are, and that Secretary Kerry made proposals to them. They have often mocked um, some of these proposals, so we'll have to see first how it plays out. Yeah, they seem to change their mind on a weekly basis. Because um, I'm tight. The, uh, finally, the, the uh, new law in Israel that human rights groups have to report when they are foreign-funded. Your thoughts? Well, it's a complicated thing, uh, and I think the um, there are concerns about freedom of speech and how this impacts people. But on the other hand, this only applies to organizations who get 50% or more of their funding from foreign state sources. Now, that, to me, sounds like a legitimate thing to ask of organizations, that if, as the Prime Minister said, you see foreign governments interfering, trying to right. uh, uh, meddle in the internal issues of Israel... They identified 27 NGOs that have been receiving the funds. Now, this is from state sources. It doesn't say if foreigners give them money. But if, if uh, I, I don't think the United States would sit by if uh, Iran and other groups, they actually are, funding uh, groups here to do political stuff and, uh, and, and know about it, that they wouldn't remove the tax-exempt status. And here, all they're doing is saying is that you have to be transparent. So I don't know why the strong reaction, I understand groups that might be affected are reacting, and they fear that this will be a first step towards another uh, further intrusions. But the bill, as I uh, see it, and again, I'm not, I haven't studied it closely, uh, seems to put down a, 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 a threshold that is reasonable. Yeah. All right. Uh, next week, uh, we will not be convening. Two weeks from today will be our next weekly update. Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Have a good job, everybody. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. If you missed what he had to say about the attack in Nice, uh, within minutes, the weekly update will be in the uh, weekly update section of the archives of the NSN app and online at NahumSiegel.com in the archives section. And um, you are invited to check out the archive in its entirety and hear everything that we've said in the last uh, segment that we call the weekly update. Erev Shabbos Parshas Chukas with candle lighting at 8.05.